you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 2. This is what we do here at Willow's Church. We like to worship God passionately, and then we just methodically break open the Word and study it. Because this it, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we're going to have a little dinner here. Ready to have a little dinner? All right. What we're doing is we're, uh, I'm going to entitle this message, When God Doesn't Come Through. When God Doesn't Come Through. And uh, what we're doing here is we're hovering, this is like our fifth or sixth week, on the same three verses. Uh, and we uh, just you sometimes feel led to hover on a, on a passage and use it as a springboard to talk about some important things. And so we're looking at the, this, this person named Anna, and we're seeing that Anna really, uh, in some ways, is a microcosm of the church. In this passage, the kingdom of God is coming into the world, this revolutionary movement. And if you believe in Jesus, you're part of this revolution. You are a revolutionary. And here, the, this is the inauguration of the kingdom, and Anna shows up, and we can see in her life principles of the kingdom, and that's what we're looking at. So it says this in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 39, and I'm reading from the TNIV version. It says, There was also a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And that tells us that in the body of Christ, women can be prophets. They can speak with the authority and the inspiration of God. In fact, what we saw several weeks ago is that anything they're gifted for and called for, they should be able to do in the kingdom of God. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then her husband died, and she was a widow until the age of 84. All that time, 60-plus years, she spent in the temple. She never left the temple, uh, and that tells us that solitude is supposed to be an important part of the kingdom. We need to find time alone with God. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day. And we talked about how worship is a central component of the kingdom of God, individual worship and corporate worship. She was fasting and praying. And this is what we're speaking on these last several weeks, is just the principle of prayer, and we'll include fasting uh, here in, in, in the future. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The redemption of Jerusalem. Anna, the microcosm of the church, shows us the principle of women in ministry, shows us the principle of the importance of worship, shows us the principle of the importance of solitude, and now she's showing us the importance of the principle of prayer. Could I just have a few people around the auditorium who will keep this message covered, that it will have all the authority God wants it to have? Would you just raise your hand if you'll be in my intercession for this service? Need a couple more. Yeah, just, you can listen, but just keep it covered in prayer. We've already covered this thing in prayer, but I'll just say, Holy Spirit, give it your power and give it your authority to do what you want here and now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, we talked about prayer and how important prayer was, how urgent prayer was. Uh, we, we noted there that God has created the world for human beings to be his partners in, as it were, running the world and carrying out his providence on this planet. And we surrendered that authority over to the enemy. But in the kingdom of God, we're getting that authority back. God calls us to be his partners. And prayer is one of the primary ways that we partner with God. God doesn't want to be a dictatorial, unilateral acting God, but rather wants the, his providence to be carried out in loving relationship. And so he covenants himself, strongly binds himself to this principle. There are many things he wants to have done in this world that won't be done unless his people align their will with him through the power of prayer and through our life that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't want to rule from the throne alone as we saw last week. He wants to rule with his bride. 
And so we are, we are his viceroys here on this earth, and he genuinely gives us say-so through the power of prayer. Prayer really affects things. Prayer is not simply a religious activity we're supposed to do. Things really hang in the balance on whether or not the people of God pray. Praying is a matter of urgency because we really do have an authority, an opportunity, and an awesome responsibility to work with God to change the world through the power of prayer. Now, it would be great to leave it off on that, but there's an issue we have to confront. I received two emails, for example, and it didn't at all surprise me. I'm surprised I didn't get more because whenever I talk on this topic, I'll get emails like this. Sincere people who just ask this question. If prayer is so important and if prayer has so much authority, if prayer is, as you said from James chapter 5, powerful and effective, then why is it that when my marriage was falling apart and I prayed for it to be healed, it ended up getting a, I ended up getting a divorce? Or when my daughter was sick, I prayed for her to get better and she died. Or when I needed a job, I prayed for a job and I didn't get one. Or fill in the blank. How do we think through this thing, this issue of what happens when God doesn't answer prayer? Uh, and people are really wondering, if, if, if it's so important and it's supposed to do so much, why is it, let us be honest, that so often we pray and we don't see any uh, visible, discernible result of our prayer? Uh, a number of years ago, I started a correspondence with my father, who was an agnostic at the time, an unbeliever, and I just wanted to have a, through writing, have a, a dialogue with him about the faith. And I wanted to give him all the reasons why I'm a Christian and allow him to share with me all the reasons why he's not a Christian. And I said, Dad, we may not convince each other, but at the very least, uh, we will know each other better, and that's good for a father and son to, to, to do. So we started this correspondence, and he came out blasting. We, we incorporated this uh, three-year three uh, dialogue in this book called Letters from a Skeptic. We, we have it here in the bookstore. Um, one of his letters dealt with the topic that we're talking about here this morning. And I want to read this letter to you. Uh, he, my dad had agreed that there might be some kind of a force, a higher force in this world, but that, that this force doesn't care about us and doesn't have any personal characteristics. So I had then gone into a kind of a philosophical proof that, that this force must have personal characteristics. And so God is a personal God. Now my father says this. Greg, I don't see any difference it makes what characteristics God has. He still doesn't seem very interested in us. And what good does believing in a God with person-like characteristics do if he's not personally interested in you or me? And here's another aspect of religion I've never understood. Prayer. If God is personally interested in us, as you say, we presumably can talk to him. But does he listen? I don't think so. Think how many millions of Jewish parents banged God's ear off during the Holocaust. All they got was silence. Where was his personal concern for them? The Bible has it that he saved uh, them from the Egyptians by parting the Red Sea. But this time, and now you can begin to feel some of my dad's anger, but this time he seems to have been preoccupied with more pressing issues. So if God is personally interested in us, why is prayer so totally unsuccessful? I fail to recall any time in my life where the prayers of anyone were really answered. Tony, that's my grandfather, used to always say that Leona, that was my grandmother, and Grandma Roz, that was my great-grandmother, were powerful prayers. 
I always wondered what made them powerful because their prayers seemed pretty powerless to me. Leona used to lump her prayers into novenas. That's just a Catholic way of packaging a certain kind of prayer. Into novenas and prayed until her knees gave out. And I always felt her success in getting God's attention and getting her prayers answered were just about the same as the odds of chance. When Arlyle, that's my mother, was dying. She died when I was two and a half years old at the age of, she was 33 years old. Uh, She died of leukemia. When Arlyle was dying, we all prayed till we were blue in the face. Even you kids prayed. Maybe God doesn't listen to the prayers of sinful adults, but he should at least have heard the cries of you kids. Instead, you kids were left motherless, and that set in motion a rather unfortunate history you yourself know only too well. If God had been personally concerned about us, Greg, he'd have spared your mother and spared all of us a tremendous amount of pain. What I could really discern from my father's letter at this point in our correspondence, I think we're getting to really what was a root issue with my father. Uh, As with so many other unbelievers, I don't think my father so much disbelieved in God as it was the case that he was just very, very disappointed in God. He was mad. He was mad at God. When I needed you, you didn't come through. I find a lot of people who say they don't believe in God or on various levels of unbelief, this is really the core issue. It's just easier to live life not believing in God than it is to live life always disappointed in God or always angry with God. Sort of like it's easier to get a divorce than it is to stay in a marriage where you're always mad at your spouse. Apart from ethical questions, it's easier. And so people just divorce God. Uh, it's, It's just too frustrating, too aggravating to live thinking that he's up there, but he doesn't come through when people need him. And we at at Woodland Hills really have just made a commitment to always be real. It would have been easy to leave the message last week with a hurrah for prayer, but some of us are living in this question, and all of us need to take serious this question. Why is it that so often it seems, at least, that God does not answer prayer? And what really is aggravating, let us be honest, is that, as I showed last week, he seems to leverage so so many promises on prayer. C.S. Lewis said this in one of his writings, it's, it's not, the, it's not that, that God's lack of answering prayer isn't what really bothers me. It's that he tells us he will answer prayer, and then he doesn't. That bothers me. And, and that adds salt to the wound. So we read in the Bible things like this, John 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name, Jesus says, so that the Father may be glorified. He goes on in the next verse. In my name, you ask me for anything, I will do it. Well, here's a request. Will you heal my mother? He didn't do it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, here's a wish list, wish, wish list on the parts of four kids and uh, a father. Will you heal the kid's mother and heal my wife? It wasn't done. Again, truly, I, I, I tell you, if two or three agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Well, we've got four kids and a father and some others praying for this woman. We agreed that we wanted this to happen. It should happen, but it didn't happen. How do we reconcile these promises with the reality that in our life, often our prayers are met with disappointment? We've got to, we've got to address this. Now, there's several answers that are common out there. Uh, probably the most standard answer is this. Well, it must not have been God's will to heal your mother, and that's why your mother wasn't healed. 
Because everything fits into the divine plan. It was just part of the plan for your mother to die and for you to be motherless uh, when she's 33 years old and you're two and a half years old. In fact, I'm told, I don't remember any of this, I was too young, but uh, I'm told that I was given that kind of an answer. I was told that God sent the angels and the angels took my mother away. And I'm told that I, that, that I never accepted that answer. I kept on asking, you know, where's my mother, where's my mother? I just couldn't get over this. And I got mad at the angels. Well, tell the angels to bring my mom back. I, I need her more than they do. And, and, uh, uh, but that, that's, that's kind of the thinking here. It's like, well, you know, once your time, it's your time. And, and, and so it all fits into sort of a plan. But see, if you believe that, number one, you're going to be very inclined to get, at least some will be inclined to get very angry at God when God takes your mother or takes your newborn baby or whatever. Number two, you've got to ask them why pray at all. If it's all part of a pre-scripted plan, then just tell us that and save us the frustration of thinking that we've got some kind of authority in prayer. You tell us that if we pray, you're going to answer the prayer. That's what makes this frustrating. But if it's all part of a script and you're going to do whatever you're going to do anyways, well then, then fine, help us deal with that. But don't go telling us that we've got this authority to work with you to change the world. But the main problem with this idea that everything fits into the divine plan theology, the main thing is it completely doesn't square with Scripture. Our, our clue as to what God is like and the clue as to what we're supposed to be doing as part of the kingdom is found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ never once confronted somebody who was like in a position like my mother was in, 33 years old with four kids, dying of leukemia, and never once did Jesus say, well, it's all part of the divine plan. He doesn't operate that way. What he does when he confronts people who've got diseases, deformities, sicknesses, ailments, oppression, demonization, or whatnot, is he gets mad. And he says, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This is not my Father's perfect will. I'm here to reveal what the Father's perfect will is. And so he brings healing and wholeness and comes against that stuff. He revolted against it. And so this blueprint theology that everything's following kind of a divine blueprint, it just doesn't square with either the facts of Scripture or the facts of our experience. Now, there's another group of, of, of uh, answers out there that go something like this. These people understand that God's ideal will, there are exceptions, but His ideal will is to heal people. And so what they say is this, well, we know God wanted to heal her, but uh, you must have lacked faith. Because if, if you have faith to believe, then, then, then God will answer that prayer. And see, if you believe that, now you've got to be saying to yourself, gosh, if only we'd have enough faith, I'd still have a mother. And you end up, whereas the first view might make you inclined to blame God, this view makes you blame yourself. Or blame the person who is going through the nightmare of, of life. And this view, I think, it actually does more harm than the first view. I've seen hundreds of people's lives significantly harmed, sometimes destroyed, by thinking that it was their fault that they're going through the nightmare that they're going through. Because if they would have had faith, they would have been protected from the rape or from the child abuse. If they would have just had faith, they wouldn't be having this cancer. Or, or if they just had enough faith, their child wouldn't have died. And so now on top of just the pain that comes from living in this war zone that we're a part of right now, on top of this, you've got to blame yourself. And you have a psychological nightmare that, that you're going through as, as well as just the nightmare of, of life. This also doesn't square with either our experience or with Scripture. It is true that Jesus said, according to your faith, be it, be it unto you. And faith is really, really important. And I'll say a word about what faith is uh, about a little bit later on. But faith is very, very important to really believe. But never does Jesus turn faith into a magical principle which assures a certain outcome. He never does that. For example, in Mark chapter 9, 
He just, there's a lot of ways that the scripture tells us that, that the world's more complex than any one particular formula can fit. In Mark chapter 9, the disciples just came back from being sent out with the 70, and they went out into all the towns, and they healed the sick, and, and they, they, they even raised the dead, and they cast out demons, and they come back going, Hallelujah, we can't believe the authority we've got in this kingdom. Then they pray for this little boy, all of them pray for this little boy who was demonized, and they can't cast the demon out. That's weird. So it says this uh, in Mark chapter 9, when they'd gone indoors, his disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we drive him out? Here we, we had such success for the last several months, and now we come to this one, and, and we can't drive him out. Now notice, Jesus doesn't say, oh, must not have been God's will for this demon to leave this boy. doesn't say that. Nor does Jesus say, well, you must not have had enough faith on this one. What Jesus says is this. He replied, this kind, referring to the demon, this kind of demon can only come out by prayer. And the, 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 he's getting a lot of prayer, more than you just did. It's a, this one's a tough one. It's going to take a lot of work. And some manuscripts add, and fasting. In other words, he's saying there are some demons that are kind of weak, and you can kind of cast them out you know, pretty easy. This kind is tough. This kind's tough. And so you'd have to work harder at it. Now, that's interesting. Here... The answer to the prayer had nothing to do with whether God willed it or not, because God did will it. Nor did it have to do with their faith, because they had faith. It had to do with something that was going on in the spiritual realm. Think about that. Digest that. The world's a lot more complex than our little formulas about God's will and our faith can, can accommodate. Here's another example, Daniel chapter 10. Daniel's a righteous man. He's fasting. He's praying. He's asking God for a particular thing, and it takes 21 days for the prayer to be answered. Then the angel shows up in Daniel 10 and says... Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words, your prayer was heard. And I've come in response to them. But the prince of Persia, who is this diabolical uh, principality and power over the, the land of Persia, the prince of Persia resisted me. He didn't want you to get this answer to prayer. He resisted me 21 days. In fact, I'd still be back there fighting, but Michael, one of the chief princes, another, uh, the, the archangel, another uh, principality in power on God's side, he came to help me because I was detained there with the prince of Persia. Now get this. Here Daniel is praying. It takes 21 days. God, where are you? Why don't you show up? When the angel shows up, he, he, he doesn't say, well, it was God's will just to delay for 21 days. He doesn't say that. Nor does he say, Daniel, you didn't have enough faith till now. That's why you would have got it instantly if you would have had enough faith. doesn't do that. He says, you see, there's some stuff going on in the spiritual realm. And what goes on up there affects what goes on down here. Now, normally, you don't know anything about that. If the angel didn't tell Daniel this, he'd have no idea uh, why uh, it took 21 days. And no doubt if there were some traditionally-minded religious people around, they would have said to Daniel, well, Daniel, must not be God's will. And others might have said, well, if you just had enough faith to believe, you would receive. And they'd both be wrong. Because, see, it had nothing to do with Daniel or God in this case. It had to do with uh, interference in the spiritual realm. But throughout history, the two variables that people go to is, well, it's either God or it's you. you know, either God doesn't will it or it's uh, uh, you lack faith. And what happens is when you go through the nightmares of life, you end up either blaming God or blaming yourself or indicting somebody else who's going through the nightmare because if they just had faith, well, then they would be out of their problems. The book of Job is written to refute that idea. That it's either all about God's will or it's just all about people's faith. And shows us that the world is a lot more complex than that. And, uh, and yet, to this day, these are the two main options that people uh, offer others. It's so important that we think about this here. Because, see, 
If, if you don't think this through, then what happens is you end up, as I said, blaming God or blaming yourself or blaming other people. And what I want us to realize is you don't need to be blaming anybody. You don't need to be blaming anybody. Okay, let, me, let me very quickly give five principles that will help us think through this issue. I do week-long seminars on this topic. I'm now going to break it down into 15 minutes. This is a major challenge for me. I want you to feel sorry for me right now. I'm going to be editing and, and all over the place. But Lord, help me be succinct here because I want to move into a time of ministry at the end of this, uh, at the end of this message. So, so put on... And by the way, if, if you want more information about this and go deeper than I can possibly do here in the next 14 minutes, I, I encourage you to get my book, Is God to Blame? And if you really want more information, I encourage you to get my book, Satan and the Problem of Evil. But if you don't want to get more information, then just listen very carefully to what I'm going to say now in the next 13 minutes. All right. Number one, you need to understand that most biblical promises are principles, not formulas. Principles, not formulas. A formula is, is, is like something that if you just say it right and just do it right, you're, you're assured of having a particular result. It's a formula. One size fits all. In any situation, just do the formula and you're assured of getting a particular result. A principle is something you live by. Principles honor the complexity and ambiguity of life. Uh, they're not formulas, but they give you a principle to live by, which generally speaking will produce a certain kind of result. Most of the promises of God in the Bible are principles, not formulas. For example, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this, uh, Raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's older, will he depart from them? Or, no, no, he will not depart from them. <laughs> okay, is that a principle or a formula? See, if you think it's a formula, then you'll think this way, and I've confronted a dozen or more parents who have gotten caught in this quagmire. You think, okay, well, here's the promise of God, and I'm standing on the promises of God. If I just raise my child right, he'll never depart from it. So I'm promised that he'll be a, a believer. I'm promised he'll walk with God. I'm promised he won't turn out to be a criminal. I'm standing on the promises of God. I got a formula. No, no, no other variables need to be considered. Well, then what happens is if your child, who, by the way, has free will, if your child decides to become a criminal, decides to walk away from God, now you've got one of two choices. You either blame yourself thinking, oh, I must not have done it right. And you know what? All of us parents have done enough things wrong so you can always blame yourself if that's the game you want to play. Oh, if only I hadn't hollered that one time or thrown that vase or, or whatever, uh, th then my child would have turned out right. So you either blame yourself and now you're walking in this tremendous indictment that the devil just loves and jumps all over you. Or you just get ticked off. God, you didn't honor your promise because you told me if I raise my child right, he'll walk with God. I raised him right, and now he's not walking with God. So you get mad at God. What I'm telling you is you don't need to be blaming yourself or blame God. That is a principle, not a formula. Realize this, that in, in, in Near Eastern cultures, which is what the Bible is, it comes out of, uh, their language didn't have punctuation marks. It didn't have any exclamation points. So the way that you said something was really important, in fact, this still goes on today in, in uh, Mediterranean cultures, the way you say something is very important is you state it in an unqualified, unnuanced, and sometimes exaggerated way. It's called hyperbole. And it's just a way of saying it's really, really important. 
Now, if the author would have, you know, said, you know, raise up a child in the way that he should go, and generally speaking, uh, you know, he'll, 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 there's a greater likelihood that they're going to turn out right. Of course, they still have free will, and of course, they have influence of other friends, and of course, well, it wouldn't have gotten the point across. So the author is saying this. It's really, really, really important to be very intentional about how you raise your kids. And the way you do it in Near Eastern cultures is you say it emphatically without any qualifications. But the point is that it's a principle, not a formula. So it is with most of the promises in, in Scripture. When Jesus says, ask anything you want and it will be given to you. See, if you just look at the whole of Scripture, there's a number of other places that qualify that. If you ask according to his will, if you ask according to faith. And there's a number of other variables. I talk about it in my book, Is God to Blame? But what Jesus is saying here is this. It's really, really important that you're talking with me all the time. Be talking with me. And trust that that will do more to change the world than anything else you could do. But if you take it as a magical formula, well, it just doesn't fit, it just doesn't fit the world. Ask anything and it will be done for you. On some level, we all know that that's not true. I had a lady one time in a conference who said, you know what, I'm just going to you know, forget your theological explanation. Anything I ask, Jesus will do for me. I said, have you found it to be true in your experience? And she said, yes. Which just reconfirmed for me the power of religious beliefs to, to create self-delusion. Because I know that that can't be true. I'm sorry. And so I, I, what I did just to try to help her, as I said this, is no ifs, ands, and buts. Anything you ask will be done. She goes, absolutely. So I said, okay, tell you what. Will you then, because you've got uh, something special going on here, pray that in the next five minutes there's peace in the Middle East. Because uh, we could really use that. Anything you want. Peace in the Middle East. You know, Jews and Palestinians, uh, have them get together. And, and why wait any longer? People are dying. Now, see, she knew that life is more complex than that. What they choose to do affects what goes on over there. Your prayer is always powerful and effective, but it's not a magical thing that all of a sudden collapses all the other variables of life. So point number one, most of the promises are, are, are uh, uh, principles, not formulas. Principle number two, and I just alluded to it. Understand that the world is unfathomably complex. Unfathomably complex. Many variables condition how the power of prayer affects the world. It's a complex place. It's so complex that usually we can't know, unless God gives us a word of knowledge, why things happen just the way they do. There's always a myriad of causes that go into bringing about any particular event. So for example, whether you pray according to God's will, that's one variable. Whether you pray with faith, that's another variable. The faith of the person that you're praying for, that's another variable. But there's a multitude of other variables as well. For example, people's free will. What they choose to do affects what comes to pass. Your prayer doesn't automatically override their free will. When I was writing to, uh, to my father this, the letters from a skeptic, the correspondence that we had, I prayed for him a whole bunch wherever I went, where, whoever I talked to. I said, would you, would you just you know, join with me in prayer? Because here's another variable, the numbers of people praying and the persistence of people praying and the, and, and the passion of the people praying. A lot of variables here. So I got all these people praying. Now, does that mean that at some point my father's uh, free will would be overridden? I don't think so. If God could save people by overriding their free will, well, then he'd do that with everybody because he wants everybody saved, the Bible says. But see, he doesn't want robots. He wants a choice. So prayer is powerful and effective. 
But that doesn't mean that it just collapses free will. What it means is this. As we're praying, God is, is bringing more and more pressure on him, making it more and more difficult for him to hold out. The influence of God is stronger and stronger, but God will not resort to coercion. The decisions that people make uh, affect things. You pray for protection in the morning. Wonderful. But if you're walking in the wrong part of town or a certain, kind of, a certain part of town, you might want to carry mace. Why? Because prayer isn't the only variable. People have free decisions, and if someone decides to rob you, it might be good to have the mace in hand. We lock our doors at night. There's a lot of things that factor into the happening of any particular uh, thing. Paul wrote letters to, to churches that were having troubles. He said in some of these letters, I'm praying for you. But clearly, he didn't see his prayer as a magical assurance that his prayer would be answered in a particular way. And that's why he's also doing the work of writing these letters to people. So realize that the world is unfathomably complex. Behind any particular thing that happens, there's a chain of influences that goes back to the beginning of time, which is why we can usually never discern why certain prayers get answered and other prayers don't, why some get answered one way and others another way. Daniel would have no idea why it took 21 days if the angel hadn't uh, specifically manifested himself and told him this. You pray for one child, the child gets healed. You pray for another child, the child dies. Why? Well, see, the view out there would say, well, it must not have been God's will. Another one would say, well, you must have lacked faith. All I want to say is this. You don't have to go there. In fact, don't go there. You just say, I don't know. I don't know. Not because God is so mysterious, because God's will is revealed in Jesus Christ but rather because the world is so complex. There's a whole lot going on. On a human level, on a spiritual level, you go, I don't know. What I do know is this. Prayer makes a powerful difference, and I'm called to pray, so out of obedience, I don't need to know. I'm just going to press forward through the power of prayer. Amen. Principle number three. Very important here. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the substance of things anticipated. It's not a psychological certainty about a, a particular outcome. So important. People have this idea that faith is sort of like talking yourself into something that on another level you know just isn't true. I do believe, I do believe, I do, I do, I do believe. And you're just trying to make yourself psychologically certain. Look at the Bible defines in Hebrews 11, it, the, the Bible defines faith as the substance of things hoped for. Among other things, that means this. To have faith is to, have, to hold as a substantial reality in your mind a vision of what you anticipate happening. Faith is a move towards action. You're moving towards something. It doesn't mean you're psychologically certain about that which you're moving towards. It just means you're moving towards it. You're trusting this outcome. If I get on an airplane that tells you I have faith that faith that, that airplane is safe, uh, when I'm thinking about flying on the plane, I'm obviously not picturing it in my mind as crashing. Uh, if, if I was picturing that, I wouldn't get on the plane. So I get on the a plane because I manifest my faith by what I do. Now, do I know... For sure that that plane is safe? How can a human being know that? I, 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 I haven't done a breathalyzer on the pilots. I haven't, you know, interviewed all the mechanics. I, I you know, wasn't there when they, you know, were screening all the people going on the plane. A lot of things could go wrong. Plane crashes happen. But I'm having faith. I'm holding this substantial picture in my mind. And you can tell what I'm having faith for by how I act. So also, folks, to have faith, 
doesn't mean we try to talk ourselves into a psychological certainty. It just means we hold us a substantial reality in our mind, something we believe to be within the will of God, and we start pressing towards it. We start pressing towards it. That's what prayer is about. Lord, bring about healing. When I pray for healing, I just can, in my mind, I picture the person getting out of the chair, and I'm saying, God, I want, and I believe you want that to happen. Now, there's a lot of things going on in this universe that I don't know about, so I, I'm not sure that this is going to happen, but let's press towards it. Let's work with God and press towards that. That's what faith is all about. It's not about a psychological certainty. The psychological certainty thing sometimes comes around and bites people really bad. For example, th- th- I've dealt with a couple, with a couple people who were, had terminal illness, and they wanted to believe that they could be healed, and so they're believing God for that, and they're praying for that. But they thought that if that if they prepare to die, that's a sign of a lack of faith. And so they don't prepare to die. And those deaths are not good deaths. There's a good way to die and a bad way to die. And if to the very end you haven't done any preparation, tying up loose ends, bringing closure to things, that's a bad way to die. But they think in their mind, well, it just shows lack of faith. If I, if I even prepare for death, that means I don't really believe that God's going to do this. I, I want to submit to you that that is not a lack of faith. That's just having a realistic worldview. Faith is about holding something in your mind and pressing towards it. And do that. But you can do that all the while saying, if this doesn't happen, well, then i got to be prepared for this other thing. In Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, more often than not, didn't see the thing that they hoped for. And yet they're still held as heroes. Here, it's not about being psychologically certain of a particular outcome. It's just about pressing, toward, pressing towards something in a particular direction. Number four, in this war-torn world that is so complex and we usually don't know why anything happens the way it does, you just got to know this. Know that your prayer is powerful and effective whatever the outcome, James 5.16. It's powerful and effective. The word effective is anergeo. We get the word energy from it. It means it energizes. It releases a kingdom energy in this world. Every prayer you pray makes a difference. Does it always make the difference you hoped it would make? No. Why? I don't know. The world's complex. But I do know this. The world's better off. The person's better off. The church is better off. The finances are better off because you prayed than they would have been if you hadn't prayed. So often we pray for something and it doesn't come to pass, so we think, oh, that was a useless prayer. God didn't honor the prayer. And what I like to say to people is this. Oh, you should have seen what would have happened if you hadn't prayed. You made a difference. Now, because we only see how things happen, not how they could have happened, it's hard for us to see the difference that prayer always makes. But just take it on faith. Prayer always is powerful and effective. It makes a difference in the world. The prayer that we prayed earlier for the person on our right and left, they're more kingdomized now than they would have been if you hadn't prayed that prayer. And uh, that doesn't guarantee a certain outcome in their life, but it does mean it pushes in a kingdom direction. And the final thing I want to say is simply this. Know that God looks like Jesus Christ. I say this all the time because this is the most important thing in the world. God looks like Jesus Christ. The heart and the will of God is decisively, definitively, and completely revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, who is called the Word of God, the form of God, the image of God, the perfect expression of God. All that's right out of the Bible. And he says, if you see me, you see the Father. And I mention that for this reason. There are undoubtedly a lot of people in this auditorium who have been through nightmares to various degrees. And no doubt you processed that nightmare with a theology that said it's got to be either God's fault or your fault. And what that theology does, among other things, is it can create a monstrous picture of God or a monstrous picture of you. 
And so you try to live your life walking in judgment towards God. And the woundedness fuels the judgment you have towards God. And to some degree, that pollutes your ability to relate to God openly and intimately and in a trustworthy way. If we just keep this in mind, the complexity of the world means we don't usually figure out why things happen the way they do. But I know this. I know God is altogether lovely. God is altogether beautiful. God is on your side. He's for you. He's not against you. His grace is towards you. He wants to put his arms around you. He wants to heal you. He wants to, he, he wants to bring the kingdom in every area of your life. He wants, he wants to be the one who defines you from the top down, not your past. But see, as long as you have a polluted judgment towards God, because God was the one who ordained that I go through the rape or the, the molestation or had my child died, if you're blaming God, it just blocks and pollutes your relationship with God. I want you to know that because if you, if you zero in, fix your eyes on Jesus as the definitive revelation of God. This is God's heart. You know this. God bleeds for you and God bleeds with you. There's never been anything you've ever gone through in your life where God hasn't been grieved about it. Far from being up there saying, I will this, he's in there, he's grieving with you. And just to know that can bring about a healing in your life. And now you can begin to say, Lord, how do you grow me out of this? God looks like Jesus Christ. And the reason why it happened was not because it was God's will and it's not your fault. It's not your fault. The world is a war zone. Bad, bad stuff happens. But you don't need to be holding judgment against God and you don't need to be holding judgment against yourself. I want you to be freed here. God's on the inside of everything you've ever been through. I'll close with this. I was at the Dream Center three weeks ago. I, I had this beautiful ministry that I told you about. And it was going around looking at the various ministries. They had a ministry for guys coming off of drugs and getting off the, getting off the street and another one for women and runaway teens or whatever. I was with a group of men who were part of this, this, this program and, and the guy who was leading this tour, as it were, said, would anyone like to give a testimony? And a guy stood up, a Native American man, just a precious, precious person. Uh, he was a fairly simple man, had no education, uh, was five foot tall and maybe five feet wide. He was the roundest person I've ever seen. But he stood up and, and he was holding his Bible and, and he kind of rocked when he talked because he was nervous. But he says, well, I, I just want to say that... Um, I was molested by my father uh, between the ages of 12 and 13 over and over again. And the state found out, so they took me away from my home and put me with my uncle. But my uncle used to do cocaine and sold cocaine. And so I became a drug addict when I was 14 years old and began to sell it. And then I was on the streets when I was 15 years old because my, my uncle got arrested and I ran away. And I've been on the, on the streets for, for 10 years and I've done some very, very, very bad things that I'm sorry for. But, but I came to the Dream Center. I hit the bottom and I came to the Dream Center three weeks ago and accepted Jesus into my life two weeks ago and I'm just so thankful that he forgives me. And last night, I asked Jesus, where was he when I, and this is the part that just killed me, where, where, where were you, Jesus, when I was being raped by my father? Where were you? Why didn't you stop this? And then he said, Jesus caused me to remember a little teddy bear that I had all the while growing up. It was my best friend. And I always carried that teddy bear around and slept with that teddy bear. And sometimes after my father was done with me, I'd go back to my bed and I'd hold my teddy bear and cry. And then I heard Jesus say to me, I was your teddy bear. I was that teddy bear. And I cried when you cried. But now I want you to know, Jesus told this man, that I can make it better and you can be healed. And the man just closed by saying, I just love Jesus so much. You see, if this man held a judgment against God for that, 
That could never have happened. Jesus is on the inside of the wound. Can we stand? I want to do this. I, I want to... Uh, I want to open this, the, the, the altar up for some prayer. If you're here this morning, first of all, I need to say this. If you have children uh, in the children's area, when, I'm, when we're dismissed, I encourage you to get your children and then come back here because we're going to go into another turn, time of worship, but we have to honor uh, the, the uh, time strictures on the people who are in the children's ministry. But if you're here this morning and, number one, there is some undone healing that needs to happen in your life. There's, there's a wound that hasn't been healed. I want to invite you forward come forward here. If there's any part of your being that has blamed God for a tragedy in your life, I want you to be released from that here this morning, now. I want to enter into this time of prayer and, and let God just release you. Or if you've been blaming yourself because you didn't have enough faith or you didn't do it right or you didn't do the formula, or maybe others have slimed you with that and you need to be free, depolluted of that, would you just come forward right now? Just step out and come down. There's some people already down here. Just come forward here. And people of God, what we're going to do is we're going to spend five minutes or so just worshiping God. We're going to worship God. And as you see people coming down here all over the place, um, I just pray for them. Just pray for them that the kingdom would come in their life all over the place. Amen. If you have kids, would you just slip out and get your kids and then come back in here? Because we're going to spend five, ten minutes on this. Holy Spirit, just show up in your power, in your love, in your dynamism, and bring healing here. Come down. Be released from the stronghold, the lie that has been a part of your life, that's been wounding you, polluting your relationship with God. Just come on down. And then I want to ask overseers and pastors, small group leaders and prayer ministers, as the people come down here, and please spread out all along here, just walk around as we're worshiping God, inviting the Spirit to come down here, and just put your hand on their shoulder and, and, and say a prayer for them. Agree with God that that healing would come into their life. Amen. Worship God in spirit and truth and pray for these brothers and sisters up here. Amen. For thou, O Lord, for thou, O Lord art high, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thou, O Lord, have your way, Holy Spirit, move. Flood over this place, Lord. Bring your healing. In Jesus' name, set the captives free. Let's worship him. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Far above all God.
Hallelujah. Would you just here extend your hands towards the, the, the beautiful brothers and sisters who are up here? Uh, and, and, and let's just align our hearts. Two or three gathered. Let's just agree on behalf uh, of, of uh, brothers and sisters here. Father, in Jesus' name, we just pray. And feel free to vocalize your own prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we just pray for the people who are up here, Lord God. We thank you, God, for uh, being involved in their life. Father, we pray uh, the prayer of Paul when he said... Uh, Lord, open the eyes of their hearts that they may see the love of Jesus Christ that passes all understanding and that they may know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God that passes all understanding. And Father, open up the hearts here, Lord, for people to see who you really are, who you really are, and who they really are, Lord God. And Lord, we together as the body of Christ come on behalf of our, our sisters and brothers and, and come against any strongholds, any lies, any deceptions. 
uh, that they've held in their mind about you and about themselves, maybe about others, in Jesus' name. And we use the authority we have in prayer to bind anything in the spiritual realm that is bringing energy to those lies. Uh, and that is making them stronger than they otherwise would be. We bind it in Jesus' name. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you be their warriors surrounding them as a mighty fortress, setting the captives free. Set the captives free. Set the captives free. Lord, we, we, we align our will with your will. As we pray, Lord God, that you, Holy Spirit, would just flush out everything in, in the mind of our sisters and brothers or the heart of our sisters and brothers that is not of you. Uh, Lord, any unforgiveness that is there, any bitterness that is there that is rooted in lies, we come against it in Jesus' name. And we ask you now, Holy Spirit, mighty Holy Spirit, like a rushing mighty wind, just flood over, uh, flood over these people, Lord God. Flood over these people, Lord God, like a mighty wave, Lord God. Bring your healing, bring your wholeness, bring your forgiveness, bring your truth to every area of their life, Lord God. Hallelujah. Let it be done. Let it be done in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for physical healing for those who are up here for physical uh, healings, Lord God, in Jesus' name. We just bring the kingdom to that ailment. We bring the kingdom to that body. And, and, and we, we pray kingdomizing power in Jesus' name. Lord God, believing that the, our prayer is energizing in a kingdom way, Lord God. Hallelujah. Let your will be done. Let your will be done. And Lord God, we just wrap your arms around every person up here that they may sense what we sang about earlier, your embrace, your warm embrace, your loving embrace. Whatever has happened, whatever's gone on, whatever, it doesn't matter. Right here, right now, you really are that beautiful. You really are that lovely. Lord God, Holy Spirit, help us to believe that, to accept that, to dare to believe that you really are that beautiful. Mm, and open our eyes to see that in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name I want I want those who are up here being ministered to stay as long as you want to stay and just and Dave will continue to worship God and you can stay stay here as long as you want to stay and just pray for these people I'd like to ask the, the altar workers uh, to keep on praying for whoever's up here I never want to cut short something that God's doing if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to. You really need to. This is why you exist. Up here to my right and your left, if you just come up here, there's a person who'd love to explain to you what it is to become a disciple of, of Jesus Christ. Feel free to leave whenever you want to leave uh, and stay as long as you want to stay. When you leave, just go out and build the kingdom and love people outrageously. Holy Spirit, continue to move here in Jesus' name. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall.